When have you felt like an outsider? And when have you felt like you truly belonged? From Well Played, this is Superhumans. 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 Who is a superhuman? Superhumans is what we become when we allow our story to serve as medicine for others. I'm your host, Dr. G. I once prescribed pills and now prescribe story as a form of medicine. Today's superhuman storyteller, Raj Agarwal, reveals to us our shared need for belonging and how if we're outcast or made to feel other, it can impact the course of our life. Raj shares how he initially found an unexpected sense of connection amongst a tribe of addicts. However, after a spiritual journey, he ultimately discovers his true addiction is in being of service to others. I just think it would have been so much nicer if I didn't have to hide who I was. I really lived a double life for a really long ass time. I wanted to be able to do whatever the fuck I wanted, whenever the fuck I wanted. As you listen, think about how you see yourself in Raj's story. Before we hit play, just a quick word of caution. This episode contains content related to substance abuse. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, Help is available. We've included a list of helpful resources in our show notes. I'll see you on the other side of the story. I remember one time I was with a friend and I, um was in his basement and uh it was in this right up in columbia heights which you know you can buy like million dollar condos now and uh we were in his basement in a nitrous tank and he left me downstairs with the nitrous tank and balloons and i was just like filling up these balloons and getting super high on nitrous and if you take enough nitrous you just start to really hallucinate really hallucinate and I um, took a lot, and I remember him like um, at one point coming through and going into my wallet and taking money from my wallet. But the way that he did it, I couldn't remember whether it was a dream or whether it was real. And I got so desperate because I ran out of balloons that I took the pipe of the nitrous tank and put it up to my mouth and turned on the spigot, and I almost froze my fucking lungs. But, you know, none of that stopped me. I would, like, just keep on going, you know what I mean? Like, have this moment of, like, oh, shit, like, there's this really cold air at the bottom of my lungs, but I'm going to, like, I'm going to stop that, but then I'm going to go get high again. to begin I just uh, don't see how it would ever be possible for me to be here now without the path that I've been on 
I'm a child of uh, two immigrant parents, and they both came from India. My dad came here with, I think, about fifty dollars in his pocket, and my mom uh, came shortly after he did. Um, they met and they spent about fifteen minutes with each other, and my dad told her, just asked her, like, you know, I live in America. Do you want to move to America with me? And my mom said yes. And it pretty much in that span of time that I just explained that to you, that's exactly what happened. And they've been together for forty-five years, and they're best friends. Then um, we moved to a lower uh, class neighborhood in Rockville, Maryland. My mom had a really hard time adjusting to being in the states. Uh, she went from a loving family of having like um, four sisters and one brother and a really close-knit family to coming into the U.S. where she had no real social structure anymore. And so um, all of a sudden having to like work a job and raise kids and not know the language as well. And my dad was working all the time um, I think my mom just experienced a lot of mental trauma, and especially when a community is primarily white. Um, but we definitely didn't talk about race at that time. One of the things that happened was um, my 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 babysitter. She. My full name is Rajneesh, and she goes, I can't, um, she goes, you know, we can't call you Rajneesh, we're going to call you Roger. And so I was Roger uh, until I went to India for the first time in 1985, and then I realized I was Indian, and I was, oh, I'm going to go by Raj. What is it like to be told that you cannot be called by the name that you were given? You know, even now, there's been like these years of like, how do I pronounce my name? It's like Raj with a hard J or Raj with a thing, you know. Sometimes I listen for different, th I used to listen for different things. Even when we started today, I was like, oh, I'm Raj. Yeah, that's, that's, that's who I am. And um, that was my first like foray into understanding that I was, that we were different and I was different. Um, I think in 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 um, in elementary school, I, I I somewhat when I started to become like aware of myself, I had a, I wanted to like dress and look like the other folks in school, and my mom always took us to Sears and bought us the best things that she could from Sears. And my friends they went to this place called Britches and they had like these really nice shirts. And so I'd, I'd always try to find like the similar shirt, but at Sears, but it was never the same and it never fit the same. And I just remember just always feeling like um, some sense of awkwardness that I didn't fit in. And I started to become like a real derelict in high school. Um, in 12th grade, I organized 
essentially a heist of my college yearbook school money with a with a friend with a person who I thought was a friend at the time and um, we stole the money that the parents had given to pay for their children's yearbook ads if they even do yearbooks nowadays and though I didn't you know and the whole way it was done like I mean it was so contrived like I thought about it for days knew where things were going on like this other person had the keys to all the to all the to all the stuff because he had stolen them from the janitor. I mean, it was a straight up heist. I was in twelfth grade, and uh, <laughs> so you know we did this thing, and a lot of the a lot of the stuff was checks, so we couldn't use those. But then we, there was some cash, and he claims that he split it with me, but I'm sure he didn't. You know, I carried that guilt with me for so long until I met my English teacher and yearbook, you know, teacher at BWI airport about five years ago. You know, I had thought about this thing so many times, you know, I'm like, what do I do about this thing? Like, can I just pay back the money? I think we like, maybe it was like 1900 bucks, a lot of money for a, for a, for a high school student. And so I, <laughs> I, I, I'm like, she had, I got, it was one of the first times ever I got to the airport early and she had some time too. So we just sat down and had a meal and I'm like, you know, Mrs. Cohn, you know, I, she was so good to me. She like, she was so good to me in, in high school. I think she also introduced me to Lord of the Rings, which is a thing that I just love so much. So I sit with her and I go, Hey, you know, I, I did this thing. And she goes, I know. So many kids got in trouble because of me in school. People that were darker than me, people that were lighter than me. And I think, I, you know, I think it taught me I could get away with stuff. I could get away with stuff because of the way that I looked. Man, that is like seriously fucked up. So I guess fast forward to college and I have this moment where there was a total opportunity to reinvent who I was. So nobody knew me. Uh, There wasn't any of the things that I grew up with in high school. And um, yeah, I could, I could do, I could do whatever I want. And lo and behold, um, I was in uh, Thurston Hall at George Washington University. And of course, my roommate uh, loved to smoke weed. <laughs> and pretty much the entire school would come to our dorm room to smoke. Um, you know, in school, being able to reinvent oneself is a really interesting idea and I I think I was just really ready to have some fun and I think I also really got drawn into uh, being the man uh, for whatever that was going to fulfill for me (laughs) 
I think there's like this really interesting line between like choice and curiosity. I remember the first time that I tried cocaine. I remember exactly where I was. I was in this room with this, with two of my friends that um, that had really come into accepting me. I really felt at home with them. Um, they were just so. They were so. There was just no judgment, actually. And we got some cocaine, and I really wanted to try it. And I was so deathly scared. And I remember being in this um, much nicer dorm room, and every you know people are do, people are doing cocaine, and I go to my friend who I trust so much, and I say, you know, what am I supposed to do here? And I say, you know, will you hold my hand while I do this? And so my friend held my hand. Because there was like a lot of curiosity. Um, there was a choice that was happening, but there was also a tremendous amount of fear. Uh, you know, these are not things that we should be doing. You know, I bet you there's a lot of people that if they listen to this, be like, oh, your friend held your hand while you did cocaine and you think like that, that, that's a good friend. Yeah, I think that friend is amazing. You know, just because that we were choosing to do that at the time, like, doesn't make either of us a bad pe- bad people and definitely does not make her a bad person. I just really feel like that's how friendship showed up in that moment for me to have that experience. I think there in 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 drug addiction or any form of non societal conforming behavior and also one that can lead to death I think there's a there's this isolation that happens to oneself like you start to self isolate and if you're not with other people that understand what you're doing or why you're doing it you just make up this story that they just wouldn't understand I think that this is one of the biggest problems with what 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 I think actually compels addiction and shame. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that are taboo that we're constantly told that you shouldn't do them, and if you do them, you're a bad person. And then, oh well, if you do them, then you you, you know, it's just it's just a really bad loop. There's like really no space to in that without othering yourself when there's already so much othering that's already happening outside of you. You know, I've spent a lot of time, um, not as much as others, but just thinking about belonging. And I think that there there were these things that other people were doing and feelings I was having of being carefree that made me feel like I belonged. I just think it would have been so much nicer if I didn't have to hide who I was on a regular basis. I really lived a double life for a really long ass time. And um, 
I finally had this moment where I was like, I don't want to have a double life anymore. And I really wanted to focus on integration. Like, what would that have felt like if I had chosen that? And would it have still been have been loved and accepted in the choice of not hiding who I was? That sounds like an ecstatic experience to me. I met this wonderful human being and um, one of the things he said to me, he's like, you know, every drug is a tool. And you can use the tool. And it really started helping me to have a completely different reverence for these substances. Which eventually led me to complete sobriety because I felt like I had lost my privilege to use anything because of the way that I had abused so many substances. So... Anyways, I was set on this path and um, things started to get really clear for me at this time. Waking up from the haze of the previous 15 years. I promised myself that I would go on this Hindu pilgrimage to a place called Vashnamatha, which is this, which is in the foothills of the Himalayas. If I made it through and I went on this 13 kilometer hike and I walked up this mountain with a few of my friends, two of my friends and my cousins. Then uh, three months later, I started using again and I caught myself really quickly within um, maybe a four to five week period. And I've been clean ever since. Like, uh... 16 years it's like a really long time and I remember the first 90 days after I was clean my buddy says to me he goes I'm like man I feel like I am rolling my face off every single fucking day and I have not taken anything in a long ass time. And he goes, your body just hooking you the fuck up because he knows you're never going to take that shit again. <laughs> but then there's like this spiritual path and like these experience, these ecstatic spiritual experiences that I have without the use of anything. One of the first times that I realize like the power of service is um i went to india and um we're on this track and we go to we we try to go to some of maharaji's temples so maharaji believed in love everybody feed everybody and remember god and so somehow this deep compulsion in me to do service and so we basically feed 10,000 people over an eight hour period 
and I am just getting food from the kitchen and I am serving people. I must have done 2,000 squats because I'm, I'm, and these are people that, you know, often they're coming to the temple, but many of them cannot afford to eat. And we're there and we're just giving them food and giving them food and giving them, giving whoever food and people are just pouring in for eight hours. Yeah, there was this one point where I slipped and I fell while I was serving and two of Maharaji's brothers, uh, sons were there and they were like, nothing's happened to you. Kushnihoya. And so I just got up and I just kept on serving people. The next day I had this huge bruise all the way across my back. But I didn't feel it because of where I was in service. So I wonder if I am addicted to service the way I was addicted to drugs. I have never been so high in my whole life. But I love feeding people. It makes me so happy. So, what does it mean to be fully alive? I am addicted to feeling fully alive. Like this idea of bringing joy to people and making people happy, which I know I don't control, but I want to, um, just fills me up with so much joy. I wonder how much um, it has to do with my own feeling of not belonging in my home and the experience that I had at that time and doing whatever I can to make sure that other people don't ever feel that way, that no matter where they are, they feel like they belong. Hey there, welcome back. Dr. G here again. I'd like to tell you more about my good friend Raj. In his struggle to overcome addiction, Raj not only discovered his sense of belonging, but also his sense of purpose. Having been clean for over 16 years now, Raj has successfully shifted his spiritual energy towards having served and touched the lives of millions of people through his impact-driven organization called Provoke. Many of us might spend a lifetime 
in search of our tribe and true calling. But Raj is lucky to have discovered that his gift is in being of service to others as an advocate for the voiceless, the helpless, and the often ignored or forgotten. I like to say that the meaning of life is to find your gift, but the purpose of life is to give it away. We're grateful to Raj for sharing his extraordinary gift with us and the world. If you'd like to learn more about Raj's social impact work, be sure to check out our show notes to get all the details. Hey folks, this wraps up our season one storytellers, but it's not over just yet. We have a bonus surprise episode for you. And here to share a bit more is our senior producer, Pamela Rothenberg. Hey everyone, Pamela here. It's been so wonderful to create this first season of Superhumans. And we're really excited to bring you season two. But first, we're going to share with you a special episode that takes you into the behind the scenes of Superhumans itself, how it got started and why it's even here. We hope that you stay tuned and also sign up for our email list to get updates on what we're up to, including a community that we're building for you and much more. You can sign up now at superhumans.health. That's superhumans.health. And thanks again for listening and all your support. It means the world. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review to help new listeners discover how story can be a form of medicine. Superhumans is made with love by a tribe of creative artists. Our senior producer and show co-creator is Pamela Rothenberg. Sound engineering and design is provided by Rob Spate. Pre-production audio engineering is provided by Jay Wujun Yao. Community and social media is managed by Tara Bika. Our original theme music is composed by Daniel Brunel. And a special thanks to our creative collaborators, Hatch. From Well Played, I'm Dr. G, and you are loved.